If, uh, if you brought a Bible, you might want to turn to Matthew 24. That's our springboard. Just one quick verse we're going to read there in just a minute. When, uh, when I was in the Army, they put me through a course uh, called Survival Tactics, where they were teaching us, you know, how to hide if you're behind enemy lines. What are you going to eat? What are you going to drink? How do you communicate? How do you survive behind enemy lines? And it, it was just a basic course. It was, didn't go very deep, but taught me some interesting things. And then when I got saved, I realized every Christian better have some survival tactics. So we're going to talk about survival principles, because I've been a pastor long enough that I've seen way too many people have an encounter with God that touched their hearts, touched their lives. They were dramatically changed. And then they came to church for a couple months, and then they disappeared. What happened? They got behind enemy lines, and they didn't know how to survive. So I want to share with you today seven uh, survival principles. If you're a Christian in this, in, in this enemy-infested world, if you're going to survive, if you're going to make it to the end, you need to understand these principles. Because Jesus said in Matthew 24, 13, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. What does that say to, about the people who don't endure to the end? That's a pretty scary thought. I want to I endure to the end. I want to survive. I want to make it. So I've got seven of these um, survival principles that you just got to know. You just got to hang on to these things or you're not going to be able to survive and endure to the end. Here's, here's number one. There are seasons of blessing. You just need to know this. There are seasons of blessing. Now, we're Americans. We want a paycheck every week, right? Every week we want that paycheck, or some of us, at least once a month. But we expect that steady income. That's just something really important to us. But there are seasons of blessing. Too many Christians get bummed out. They get discouraged. They get disillusioned, disheartened because I gave and then nothing came back to me. Listen, there are seasons of planting and there are seasons of blessing. Work the seasons. God works the seasons. You don't. He does. So don't expect a routine every Friday blessing to come flowing into your life. It comes in a big lump. That's how God works. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 says it like this. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. means down here on the earth. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. Etc. Etc. He gives us a whole string of time-sensitive things. There's a time to do this and a time to do that. There's a time to be angry and there's a time to forgive. There's a time. Blessings come in seasons. They don't come every Friday. They come in seasons. So you might not see a blessing for a while. That gets discouraging unless you know who your God is. And you know He always pays His debts. Then you hang on and you hang on some more till that blessing finally comes in rolling into your life. Blessings are returned in seasons, not every week like your paycheck. 
We're coming up on a winter season. I know we don't want to think about that, except those real hot days, then we want to think about it. Winter is hard times. Birds fly south. Mammals burrow in the ground and go into hibernation because there's hard times coming. I've been around long enough to see seasons of hard times come into my life where I wasn't sure if God had abandoned me or not. But I didn't have a choice. I had to hang on to him. Where else am I going to turn? I'm sure not going to rely on the government. Got to rely on something. Who am I going to rely on? So I've had to rely on God. Even when it looks like it's hard times or when it looks like it's a time for blessing. If you want to survive in this world as a Christian and stay vibrant in your faith, you have to understand there are seasons of blessing and quit getting discouraged when the blessing seems to shut off for a while. Because there's always a winter season coming. So if you sow in season, you can reap in season. What would be the season for me to sow, to make a big investment in the kingdom of God? I would say that's when somebody gives you an opportunity to give in the heart for the, heart for the, what was it? Heart for the house. Yeah, when you have a special occasion. We just did that last week with Courtney and Marilyn Kinnear going to Butler to plant refuge. That's an opportunity to sow. So we as a church, because we say we believe that, we invested in them. Now, that harvest hasn't come back yet, but I expect it will because I understand my God. There's a season. There's a season for this. So here's the second thing. I got seven of these, so I got to keep moving. Number two, you have to know this. There will be problems as we grow. There were, there's been problems in your life as you've grown. Growth doesn't just bring blessing. It brings a bucket of problems, too. When our church grew, we were in the little building down there. We were nice and comfortable, but we grew. So we had to add another service. That created a bunch of problems. Then we had two services, both of them packed out. What are we going to do now? We have to do something. So we built this building. Within the first year, we realized we built it too small. We were full twice on Sunday morning. So we had to build on that other addition. Within five years, we had to do that. God poured out his blessing. Yes. It's the same God. Come on. Yeah. He hasn't changed. Come on. Right. Come on, preach it. There will be problems as we grow. Example, Acts chapter 6, verse 1 says, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. That wasn't just one ethnic group griping against another ethnic group. There was favoritism going on in the church. It was a problem. People began to voice that favoritism. You see, when they had 120 disciples or 120 yeah, disciples in that upper room on the day of Pentecost, they had 12 apostles that were leading them. But when that 120 grew into several thousand, they still had 12 apostles managing everything. Just doesn't work. They needed more helpers. So when one group began to gripe against another group, instead of deciding to have a church split and let's leave and go start a new one, what they did is they got together and say, how are we going to fix this problem? 
So that's when they chose the first deacons. And they put the deacons in charge of making sure that the widows were taken care of. That was back before they had Social Security to take care of the widows. They would starve to death if somebody didn't take care of them. So the church made changes. Anytime we have growth, you have to change. Imagine for yourself that somebody in your family died and the the thing that you thought would be the best is for you to step in and raise their five kids. Wouldn't that change your life? How would that change your life? Five kids moving into your house that you have to feed. You have to take to school and track meet and band practice. That would change your life dramatically. Because of growth, there's change that comes on. Change is a problem. Same thing with your personal growth. If you grow in your faith, things will change in your life. Growth requires adjustments. If you had those five kids move into your house, you'd have to adjust your finances, wouldn't you? Some of you would have to buy a bigger house. You'd have to adjust your priorities. You kind of like your quiet time. You got five kids in your house. There goes your quiet time. (laughs) And you would have to adjust your time. You can't work the same schedule you're working today. Same things happen in church. When a church grows, we got to adjust things. We have to expand. That changes things. Nobody likes change. But if you're going to grow, you have to deal with the change that comes into your life. So there will be problems as you grow. As you grow in your life, it's going to cause problems. Jesus didn't come to take away your problems. He came to grow you. And growth adds problems that we can fix with his help. Okay, let's go to the number three. Here's the third one. You have to know this. There are different parts in the body of Christ. Now, you have a physical body there sitting in that seat this morning. Some of us are older bodies. Some of us are younger bodies. But we all came with a body today. You have external parts of your body that everybody recognizes. Your nose, your chin, your ears, all of those things make up what you look like. Those are external parts. You also have internal parts that nobody sees. You have a heart, nobody sees that. You have lungs, you have kidneys. Which are more important, the external parts or the internal parts? Nobody wants to vote because they're all important. (laughs) Paul says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 12, he says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. We are the body of Christ. His spirit lives inside of us. He functions through us. We come together and we become united. We strengthen one another when we're together. And then we go out these doors where we're independent again. We come in here to strengthen one another. You just need to know the body of Christ isn't all just like you. Other parts of the body of Christ are just as important, but they don't vote the way you vote. They have a different set of priorities, but they're the body of Christ. Some have a different gift than you have. Maybe you love to sing and can actually do it. 
There's a difference there, you know. But don't require that of everybody else. Because not everybody else, let me say this, other people know they can't sing. I've had people tell me the reason they don't sing is because they can't. Not everybody knows that. All the parts of the body are vital. You know the people sitting next to you are vital, but did you know the people sitting behind you that you chose not to sit next to? Did you know they're just as vital as you are? Every part of the body of Christ is vital. We need to understand that. Every part of the body should be defended by the rest of the body of Christ. How can we defend one another if we have no idea what they're going through? We have to sit down and spend time with people and get to know them because we're a body together. Yes. One of the biggest problems in the church world today is that we are Americans in the 21st century. We are a consumer culture. Come on. If I go to Cracker Barrel and they don't give me food like I thought I was going to get, I won't go back to Cracker Barrel. You see, I'm a consumer. I go to Applebee's, or I'll go to Italian Grill, or I'll go to Burger King. I'll go someplace else. If I don't get what I want there, I'm going somewhere else. I'm a consumer. That's a real problem in the church of Jesus Christ. We're not supposed to be consumers and consume Christianity. And if the pastor doesn't say what I like, I'm going to go to another church. If, if, if they don't sing the kind of songs I want to sing, I'm going to another church. And Christians are going from church to church to church to church because they're dissatisfied. Always trying to find what they want. What, what is this about Jesus placing us in the body of Christ and telling us to watch out for one another, protect one another, build one another, encourage one another? It's not about me and what I can get. It's about what I can give. How I can make investments in other people in the body of Christ. You need to know that or you're going to get blown out of the water when the enemy attacks. Right. You need to be faithful, serving God. All parts of the body are gifts to the other parts of the body. It doesn't work if we're Lone Ranger independence and we're only about ourselves. Right. We've got to get outside of ourselves and build a body. All right, here's number five. Whoops, number four. I missed that. Here's number four. There must be submission in unity. You understand what unity is? Everybody being in agreement? There's no way you're going to get this many people in agreement on everything without having some submission involved. We've got to submit to one another. As a matter of fact, this is what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Out of reverence for Christ and the body of Christ, which is what we all are. We need to submit to one another. Now, if somebody is unscriptural, you don't submit to that. Right. We submit to one another. We don't change our beliefs, but we honor one another. This is what the body of Christ is about, and you just got to know this if you're going to survive. Now, this, this scripture, submit to one another, is in the context of marriage. He 
He's talking to husbands about how they should treat their wives. Submit to one another. If that bristles you a little bit, you need to go back and study what the Bible says and not what you heard the Bible said. Pretty clear. Husbands need to submit to their wives because in some areas they're just smarter than he is. Every man ought to recognize that. There are some areas where your wife is just smarter than you are. I can tell I got to move on. (laughs) In the body of Christ, we need to submit to one another. You see, we need to submit to Jesus. Everybody will recognize that. But the spirit of Jesus is inside everybody else as well as you. So when we come together, we have to interact with one another. We have to decide what's the best way for us to reach our lost world. What's the best way for us to to spend kingdom resources? What's the best way for us to take our talents and giftings and use them for the kingdom together? Because that's what a church is, together. We've got way too many people who say they're Christians and don't go to church any place. And the reason they don't go any place is because they don't want to submit. They don't want to be told what to do. They want to be their own leaders. They want to be in charge of their own life. So they're out here living their Christian life independently, like the Lone Ranger, out here in some desert area doing nothing for the kingdom. We do something for the kingdom when we pull ourselves together. And I let your gifts strengthen me, and you let my gifts strengthen you. That's when the body becomes strong. That's why it's important for us to meet together. John Bevere once said, one of my favorite teachers, once said, Submission doesn't begin until you disagree. Stop and think about it. What does submission mean? It means somebody has a different idea than me and I've got I've to back down. I've got to say okay. Now, not everything is okay, but I am not ever in my lifetime, now hold me to it, never am I going to be a problem in the body of Christ by favoring one side over another. Not going to do that. Okay, my time is moving on. Number five. There is judgment against murmuring. You just need to know this. I've watched, I've watched this failure over and over again in my years as pastor here. There is judgment against murmuring. James chapter 5. James says it in the New Testament, not Old, New Testament He says, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, for you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. This is New Testament. You're going to be judged if you murmur against one another. What is murmuring? Murmuring is when I don't like what you're doing. So I'm going to go over here and I'm going to tell these people. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to tell you I don't like what you're doing. I'm going to go over here to these people and poison their minds with my poison. That's murmuring. If you read the Old Testament, you see people died because they murmured. God judged them because they murmured. So quit murmuring. Quit griping. Quit grumbling. Doesn't accomplish a thing. Go to the source. Voice your disagreement to the source of your problem. Don't go to the people. I've seen people that I loved and I thought loved me go home and get on the phone, go out to a restaurant, unload their poison, unload their gripe, unload their murmuring 
with other people, poison them, and then everybody leaves. I've seen that happen multiple times. It's like a season. Every couple years, this will happen. There's always somebody once that thinks that their thoughts are better than other thoughts. If you want to survive in the kingdom, be careful of murmuring against one another. We're all in the body. Now, you can gripe and complain about your boss, your supervisor on the job. Don't bring that into the church because you just pulled God into the whole mix. So be careful. Because every other Christian is God's servant, not yours. Did you get that? They're God's servant. How dare you judge another man's servant, Jesus said. All right, number six. Winding down here. Here's the sixth thing you just need to know. There is one lifelong temptation. Pride. You will, you will always struggle with pride. The more successful you are, the more of a battle with pride you're going to have. It just goes with the territory. What is pride? Pride says, very under, the, under your breath, doesn't say it out loud. Pride says, I can do this. I can handle this. I got this. I don't need God. Oh, we would never say, I don't need God. But that's what we're saying with our actions. I got this. I can handle this. My way is a better way. Beware of that. James chapter 4, verse 6 says, But he gives us more grace. You know what grace is? Unmerited favors. When God smiles on you and you don't deserve to be smiled at. God gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. I've I've learned that principle over the years, or I should say I am learning that principle more and more over the years. When you see these people on television or in the news and politics that are so full of their own self-pride, it's just a matter of time before they're going to come crashing down. God will fix affairs in their life so that they cannot continue to build their own bubble bigger and bigger and bigger. Just a matter of time, going to crash. And that comes down on our lives as well, individual lives as well. Just a matter of time before it crashes down. You never overcome this temptation, but you do become better at suppressing it. Every time somebody meets me at the door and says, Wow, Pastor, that was a great message. This little demon on one shoulder whispers in my ear and says, You are so great. I have to deal with it. And every now and then, if it gets to working down in my heart and I start thinking how wonderful I am, God will let me do some really, really stupid thing. And I'll go home and I'll put my head down between my knees and I'll say, oh God, deliver me from this. I'm never going to do that again. How many have ever said, I'm never going to do that again, and then went ahead and did it? To not need God in your life is self-pride. That's what it is. Self-sufficiency. I can do this. I don't. Weak people need church 
Weak people need Jesus. If that's the truth, I want you to know I'm really weak. God's taught me that lesson many times. I'm really weak. I need Jesus. When you humble yourself, God shows you his favor. If you don't humble yourself, he will go to work to humble you. I found even if you do humble yourself, he'll still go to work to humble you because he wants you to always need him. Oh God, my God, I need you. I was singing that this morning because I really do. Okay. Four and a half minutes left. I got one final point. Here it is, number seven. There is nothing impossible with God. You need to know this. If you're going to survive, this is what you need to know and hang on to. Nothing, nothing, nothing is impossible with God. Now, it may be impossible for God to answer your prayers the way you want him to, but it's never impossible for God to answer your prayers the way he wants to. So don't put God in a box telling him how you want him to do it. Just let him do it. Let him figure it out. Because if you let him figure it out, he knows you'll give him the glory. If he just does what you want, you probably wouldn't give him the glory. You wouldn't give him the credit. I'm reading this from Matthew chapter 19, verses 23 through 26. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And he's not saying being rich will keep you out of heaven, what he's saying is being rich will fill your heart with pride. And if you don't deal with the pride, there's no way you can get into heaven. You're all relying on yourself. And nobody relying on themselves and their own goodness is going to make it to heaven. It's not going to happen. The principle is God has no limitations. Let's us quit putting limitations on God. Just because God didn't answer my prayer last year doesn't mean he's not going to answer it this year. Let's just submit to God. Make him Lord. You know what Lord is? Lord is the one who's in charge. You're you're either Lord of your own life or he is. God has no limitations unless we put limitations on him. He can't do anything we don't ask him to do because he's partnering with us. If we don't pray for something, God doesn't do it. He's just waiting for us to talk to him. Waiting for us to have a connection with him. These are seven things you just have to know if you're going to survive in this world. It's a tough world. We're behind enemy lines. Satan is the God of this world. And we're in the Lord's army. So he's out to get us. Sometimes we need to hide from him like Jesus did. You know, they, went, they tried to kill him three times. First two times he got away. He knew how to hide. He knew how to put these tactics, these principles in place. And you and I 
we have to serve God. You can't make it to heaven just keeping your fingers crossed and hoping that one day God will be merciful. He'll be merciful, but you have to reach out to him. You have to reach out to him. It's just the way it is. So I want you to succeed. I want you to win. I want you to survive. I want you to endure. These are some of the basics, and I could go on. There's a whole lot more of these basics. Like, you got to let go. you got to forgive people. you got to forgive these people that hurt you. That's another one. That's a bonus. That's for free. Because it's not in my notes. But there's several more of these. I'd like, to, I'd like to do this in a whole series, but don't have time. Let's stand together. Heart for the House offering is a great opportunity for you to enter into a season of sowing. You know us. We don't come before you every other week and ask for your money for this project or that project or another project. We only do it when, when we need. We really have a need. You've been very generous with your giving. But if we're going to take on that South Campus and turn it into a New Hope Campus, it's going to cost us some money. My wife and I want to participate in that. We're going to be given. We talked about it. Not going to tell you how much, and I don't want to know how much you are. What I want to know is the total amount we all gave together. That's what I'm interested in, because we're a body. So what we're asking you to do is ask God what he wants you to do. Maybe you're given based on what he's already done for you. Maybe you need to be a man or a woman of faith and pledge and give for what you're expecting him to do. You haven't even seen that yet. But you're expecting the blessings are going to come over the next couple months. So you're going to sow seed. Watch and see what God wants to do. I think one of the most exciting things I've ever seen our church do is when we went through two building campaigns and we watched God do miracle after miracle, providing financially and blessing his people at the same time. Because there's a season for planting and a season for reaping. Right now is a season for planting. Next week, I'm excited about it. Heavenly Father, we are your people We want to work together. We want to apply these spiritual principles to our lives. Help us to be winners behind enemy lines. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.